Good morning, Highland. I'll be reading from Colossians 1, 24 through 29. I'm glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ. That's why I work and struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. Well, good morning, Highland. Good morning. <laughs> it's a pleasure to see a few of you here, and I hope the rest of you are uh, doing well at home. Um, you know, last time I shared with you, uh, my arm was healing, and I had it in this bionic-looking thing, and we talked, uh, we talked a little bit in James, um, and, and I used the idea of an outstretched arm in terms of reaching others. Um, oddly enough, as I was preparing uh, for this uh, week, I, I had no idea what God was going to bring. Friday night, uh, I went mountain biking and uh, didn't actually land on my arm, but because of the injury, the, the bicep repair I sustained, I sustained earlier, um, managed to break my arm again uh, about a day and a half ago in exactly the same place. And so this weekend has been a learning experience for me, uh, but the one thing that came to mind uh, as I was... Uh, you know, kind of uh, uh, dealing with some pain Friday night, and then yesterday actually, you know, praying and hoping that it wasn't serious, and then, you know, looking at the x-ray and going, okay, this is, you know, we're back in, we're back in one arm mode. Um, the thing that kept going through my mind was James. Uh, now, not, not necessarily the favoritism passage, but uh, James 1, uh, as he opens, he says uh, to uh, the, the people he's writing to, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And that uh, is kind of how I felt this weekend. This, uh, you, you know, I, I, I don't know what God's doing. I don't, you know, this is kind of annoying, um, but, but there's a lot of other people that are truly suffering. Uh, and so my little trials, I take heart in the fact that God is doing something. Uh, he's developing, developing in me perseverance, trying to grow me closer and closer. And so my big prayer for this weekend has been, Lord, say whatever you want to say, um, because I am uh, weak, but you can be made strong. So let's pray. Father God, as we look at Colossians uh, today, as we look at the ministry of Paul, um, I just pray that you'll open our hearts, you'll open our minds, um, you'll open our ears. Lord, thank you for what Becca has already shared. Uh, thank you for this mystery that is to be revealed through us. And so, Father God, I, I do pray that you will um, keep, us, uh, keep our hearts near to you. Uh, may you speak to the word um, as only you can today. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So in this section in Colossians, we've just um, uh, left a place uh, where in your Bible it probably says the supremacy of Christ or something of that sort. Paul has just talked about how Christ is sovereign over all things and how he holds all things together. And really, this is a, a section in Colossians that, like n- many other Paul letters, speaks more to the sovereignty uh, of Christ. He talks about Christ being the head of the body and the church and how all, three, all things in creation will be reconciled to Christ through his death and, and uh, shedding of blood on the cross. Then he talks about how the Colossians were once were alienated from Christ, but have been brought close and reconciled. And this encouragement is to stand strong in the gospel that they originally heard, because this is the gospel that Paul originally preached, unlike some of those things that the false teachers uh, in the time, in the church in Colossae, were, uh, were speaking towards. And so the Colossian church, um, you know, false teachers talking about, you know, there's, there's special disciplines or these kind of spiritual things that you need to do in order to be saved, Right? It's not necessarily just about Jesus. It's, you know, you've got to act this way. You've got to pray three times a day. You've got to make sure that you have your quiet time every day. They were adding a little bit that was both a little spiritual and mystical, uh, but also um, uh, that, that had to do with spiritual disciplines. They were adding that to the faith. And so Paul, in this previous uh, section, has really talked about the supremacy of Christ and why Christ alone, this original gospel, is all that's needed. And, and he ends this section by saying, of which I, Paul, has to become a servant. And then he flips in, into this section that uh, you just heard read up there on the screen. So we're going to talk a little bit about Paul being a servant of the gospel. And one of the things that we're looking at today, the, the topic or title, if you will, is what is ministry? Really? What is ministry? And we hear that term a lot, and I'd invite you to just take a minute and reflect of what, what do you think when you hear ministry? Is that something we're all a part of? Is it something that just happens uh, up here? Is that just Paul? What do you think ministry is? What comes to your mind, really? In my mind, this is a very big why question for Paul. Why does he do what he does? He's, he's all over the place, and he's actually writing this from prison. And I think it's an interesting question, and uh, this year has been kind of nuts, Right? Uh, we've had the coronavirus, a pandemic of which nobody uh, ever guessed would come. We've had significant amounts of civil unrest, and there's people all over the place looking at others, regardless of what side they're on, masked or not masked, and everybody seems to be accusing the other of what your intentions are. And there's a lot of talk on social media, there's a lot of advertising of, well, you, you know, you must be so-and-so. And we've got this, this idea in our minds that, the, that we know the why behind what everybody's doing. We've seen broad good changes sparked by this questioning of why in our culture. But Paul in this passage is encouraging the Colossians not to stray from the gospel. He's trying to keep them from this false teaching and he doesn't want anybody to misunderstand the why he does what he does. Because if they don't understand Paul's why, or if they misunderstand Paul's why, if they think he's out for himself, if they think that he's got something else other than the gospel that drives him, then they have a chance to miss it. So take, take a moment, if you don't mind, and consider why do we do what we do. 
Absent Christ, the why behind what we do varies uh, significantly from person to person, culture to culture, and generation even to generation. Um, you know, I, I work kind of in a business setting. I'm in IT at the hospital. Uh, we've got quite a few teams there. And uh, one of the things that um, has been released a lot over the past few years is this research that may or may not be fully rooted in science on generational differences. And um, we're all, the point is we're all different, we act differently, but some of this generational research tries to tie together different generations and, and what, what motivates people. And, and, and as an employee, as an employee how, do you, how do you keep people engaged? Your baby boomers uh, are said to have, to be motivated by flexibility. 87% of boomers state that they consider work flexibility to be important because they've built lives outside the office. Generation X, many of them grew up as latchkey kids. Uh, parents were in the workforce, they took care of themselves. And so independence is what motivates Generation X. Generation Y, uh, you know, those millennials, um, often thought of as entitles, entitled, when you get into the research, millennials at work really uh, seek out opportunities for growth. And so employers, as they're looking at millennials in the workplace, go, okay, what how can we give them opportunities for growth? Because 86% of millennials note that uh, additional training would keep them from leaving uh, their current positions. And then Generation Z, which was born 1997 uh, to 2012, uh, believe that purpose makes up a big portion of what they do. And so you've got all of these generations and these employers trying to assess, okay, what, what makes you tick? And there's all kinds of, I mean, there's a whole industry that's built up in uh, human resources and leadership on trying to understand people and what makes them tick. And that's important to us. We think, okay, if I understand that flexibility is important to this person, then, then I, can, I can help ensure that they're happy at work and that they're, they're, uh, they're happy staying as a part of the company. If I understand that Generation Z has a purpose, then we're going to talk about, you know, at, at the hospital, we're going to talk about the purpose behind caring for people. You know, while, while the Generation Z wants to spend 40 hours a week working, they want to make sure that it, it, it has a bigger difference. But maybe that doesn't matter as much to, uh, to other generations. So there's all kinds of specific research around different people. And generational is one slice. There's cultural, there's racial, there's all of these different researches that said what is the motivation behind somebody and what they do. There's this idea that is in us that we have to understand the why rather than just understanding the what. And I think this is why Paul takes a step back. He's been talking to the Colossians about the supremacy of Christ, but then he steps back and says, I'm a servant of the gospel. Let me tell you why. I want you to understand why. And that's the question, just to skip to the end, that I'll be asking all of us today. Why do we do what we do? Why are we here? What's your purpose? So let's, uh, let's go through the verses in order. Colossians 1.24, I am glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings that continue for his body, the church. I call this the mindset of ministry. So Paul has just talked about, you know, being a servant of the gospel. And he says, I am glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings that continue for the body. I thought of suffering when I broke my arm this weekend. Really, this, this is my trial, right? 
but, but Paul's suffering. He was thrown in jail because of what he was speaking. Um, and, and, and in jail for years and years. He was whipped. He was beaten. Real suffering. I call this the mindset of ministry. You could even call it the heart of his ministry. Paul is glad in his sufferings because he knows he's participating in the sufferings of Christ. His ministry is why his purpose allows him to participate in, this Christ suffer, in Christ's sufferings, and he's glad. Some, some of your translations may say, I I'm, I'm make up what is still lacking in Christ's suffering. And I want to be clear, Paul's not saying that there's anything lacking in Christ's death on the cross from our redemption. We've just gotten through a section where he talks about the sufficiency of Christ in saving us. But what he is talking about is this idea that the suffering uh, that Christ endured is to continue among uh, those who carry his message forward. Therefore, what is lacking in Christ's suffering is not meant to indicate that it is in any way insufficient for our redemption. What Christ did and Christ did alone has reconciled us to the cross. This is the good news of of the gospel. So why is Paul glad in this? Why is he... um, uh, why is this suffering filling up what, Christ, what was lacking in Christ? What is it doing? We see in the New Testament um, that he brought the message of salvation and therefore suffers the same way that Christ did in bringing that message. In fact, we also see in the New Testament that there is to be extended suffering meant for believers. The suffering that started with Christ is going to continue through the end of the age. Early Christians spoke as the time after Christ as the last days. They knew there would be suffering. They knew there would be death and martyrdom. And there's even an indication that this would continue until a preordained time when it had been completed. Revelation 6, 9 through 11. This is John writing uh, of the vision he saw. When the lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of all who had been martyred for the word of God and for being faithful in their testimony. They shouted to the Lord and said, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they have done to us? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and they were told to rest just a little while longer until the full number of their brothers and sisters the fellow servants of Jesus who were to be martyred, joined them. So in verse 24, Paul clearly sees that his suffering is number one, in continuation of Christ's ministry on earth. And number two, it is filling up what had been set forth by God to be accomplished before the end of of days. Paul sees his ministry, his mindset of ministry is continuing what Christ did and also walking out what God has to be accomplished before the end of days. That's that's his mindset. Let's look in uh, verse 24 and look at the why of Paul's ministry. Excuse me, verse 25. God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. The Greek word for responsibility, which I will not try to pronounce, uh, refers to his apostolic ministry. God chose Paul before his birth, to become an apostle with the particular responsibility to bring the good news to the Gentiles. Let's look look at Galatians 1.15. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. 
When this happened, I didn't rush out to consult any human being. This is really key. And one of my, one of my favorite passages that Paul speaks about, because he's talking about his commission, but it gives us insight into the fact that, that Paul didn't just wake up one day and, and, and you know, God decided that it was time for him to go into ministry. Paul's ministry had been preordained from before the dawn of time. Paul's purpose had been set forth to call him to the faith and that he would minister to the Gentiles. Whereas the rest of the apostles were primarily ministering to Jews, Paul was to take this message to the Gentiles, which is everybody who wasn't uh, uh, a Jewish believer or, or, or Jew. God, or Paul's apostolic calling was to extend the message of Christ to the entire world. And this had been set forth from him from the beginning of time. This good news, this why behind Paul's ministry is God-given, wrapped up before the creation of the world. We'll talk a little bit more about this in a minute, but there is encouragement to us uh, if we look at that. Verse 26, this message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but has been revealed to God's people. Some of your Bible translations say mystery, and that really is an accurate way to talk about uh, in the Old Testament, or talk about what we see in the Old Testament, this entire um, uh, journey of what God has been doing throughout time, leading to the birth of Christ and his death on the cross and the salvation of all mankind. The word mystery uh, is actually borrowed and very similar to what's used in the Hebrew version uh, in Daniel. Uh, when Daniel, when King Nebuchadnezzar has a vision, he, excuse me, he has a dream, and he goes to Daniel and needs it interpreted. There's a mystery there, and, it's a, and, and Paul draws on that word to explain the mystery of Christ, this idea of what was a dream, what couldn't be interpreted until Christ came. That is what he has the blessing of sharing, and that is what we are called to share as well. This message kept secret for centuries and generations past, now revealed to God's people. As we look at verse 27, this idea continues. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you the assurance of sharing his glory. We could probably just sit there the entire time. Christ lives in you. This gives you the assurance of sharing his glory. It's not just talking about Paul. This is talking about every believer we see the secret to riches and glory in Christ. And, and let, me be, let me be clear, when we push past that word riches that you see up there, it's, it's not just you know, wealth as we talk about. The, the idea of riches here is really meant to, to um, communicate the, the presence of God himself. Part of these riches is the presence of God. And this is the Grand Commission was gifted not just to God's people as it had been in the Old Testament, the Jewish believers, but to everybody else, the Gentiles. This is the grand commission of Paul, is taking this message. Paul frequently speaks of us in Christ. In fact, uh, this letter is addressed to the Colossians, uh, brothers and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. So frequently we talk about being in Christ, but there's a few times where Paul talks about Christ in us. And this... Um, is exciting. Uh, the presence of God, his riches and glory in us, his presence in us. This is the good news that, that Paul uh, is excited to bring. Romans eight ten, And Christ lives within you. 
So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. Christ lives within you, gives us life. And that speaks also to Paul's uh, purpose and his drive. Christ in you, a secret, a mystery, riches, glory, this idea that God's presence in you is, the dry, is a driver and a motivation for Paul's purpose and has the ability, if we'll listen, to motivate our purpose as well. In verse 28, we see the how of ministry. So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God, perfect in their relationship with Christ. And there's two sides of a coin here, warning everyone and teaching everyone. And I think maybe this is self-explanatory, right? Um, you know, just teaching the word is part of what Paul is called to do. And yet the, the warning side, the admonishing side is also a challenge. There's a teaching. This is what the word means and a challenge. This is what we are called to do. And in this case, he's also setting the stage to admonish those who had stepped away from the gospel, those who had added anything to the, the death of Jesus on the cross as required to save us. So there's a, there's a teaching and an admonishment there. I think of, uh, I think of John 3.16 being held up at a baseball game, right? I mean, there's people that throw Scripture out, but unless Scripture actually is taught and admonishment, uh, many times that truth doesn't necessarily come through. And so there's, there's this idea that we want to, Paul talks about, we want to present his drive, his how is to present people perfect to God, perfect in their relationship to Christ. And um, I want to just clarify here, uh, we're a very absolute culture, right? So when we see perfect, we think unreachable, or I think unreachable, um, maybe you don't. But the, this idea that perfection is what he's trying to get people to maybe isn't the most accurate word. Some of your translations say, may say maturity, but that's not exactly right either because maturity implies that uh, there's a, you know, as long as you're just doing a little bit more, you're growing a little bit, you're learning a little bit, maybe next time, you know, um, that's not it either. The ultimate drive, you know, perfect implies absolutism in a way our culture doesn't get. One of the commentators I read put it well, Schweitzer is his name. This word is complete and undivided in which a person with one's, all of one's positive and negative attributes is oriented towards God or Christ. This idea of perfection, when you look at the true meaning of the, the word before it's translated into English, means complete and undivided in a way in which a person with all of one's positive and negative attributes is oriented towards God or towards Christ. And when I'm saying this, I wanna go positive or negative, healthy or sick, not broken or broken, everything. It doesn't mean that we're perfect. God's perfection, God's redemption will, be, will happen as he brings us into eternity. But what Paul is trying to do and, and the drive of, of our lives is to be called towards this, um, this complete and undivided way in which all of our faults, all of our feelings, and all of our strengths are oriented towards Christ. That is what drives Paul through the admonishment of Scripture and the teaching of Scripture. That picture is why Paul says this in the next verse, verse 29. This is what I call the fuel for Paul's ministry. That drive 
That's why I work and struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. Paul is cluing us into the why that drives him here. But I think that this last section is really an important point because it's the fuel. This last verse, Paul is talking about what fuels him. He works and he struggles because he understands the why. But he has full and total dependence on Christ's mighty power. It is not Paul that makes this happen, but it is Christ. So this is Paul's purpose, that we might be full and complete. 100% devoted towards Christ. And he is going to suffer and struggle and put all of his energy into that because that's what God has called him towards. And yet, he says here, it is Christ's mighty power that does it. And so when we talk about purpose, when we talk about Paul's purpose, he is moving and striving and suffering for this. And yet he recognizes that it is Christ's power within him that actually accomplishes this. Band, you can come on up. I think we can learn a lot from Paul and how he approaches his ministry. When I first started drafting the sermon, I really wanted to end with, we're all in ministry. And we kind of are. As we look at Paul um, and, and his apostolic ministry, he had a specific calling. We hear in other places, um, you know, James actually says, not all of you are called to be teachers. Um, we see in a place where Paul isn't asking everybody to go, he's asking them to help him go. And so to stand up and say, we are all meant to go, as Paul did, or we all have the same apostolic calling is, is not true. And so at the beginning, I asked you, what do you think ministry is? And um, I, I would argue, I would say that the preconceptions we bring to the table um, about ministry are important. Because if we just think as ministry that's something done up here on the stage, we're missing it. Early in Colossians, Paul speaks of Christ as the head and we as the church of which we're one body. The apostle Peter says, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices to Christ. Psalms 139.13, for you created me in my inmost beating, being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. A little bit later, it says, for you created me, your, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. If Paul was called before the beginning of time to Christ and was called to bring the gospel to the Gentiles, isn't it possible, in fact, likely, and perhaps even true, that God has called you? His purpose for you, he knew you before, he knit you together, he knew before time what your days would be, and he has developed this purpose for you. He knew you would be here today, he knew about the coronavirus, he knew you would be his, his follower in the middle of a pandemic. He knew our country would be in unrest. People would be receptive and asking for change. He knew about torn biceps and broken arms. And while I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this, 
I don't know what God has for me. He does. He's got a purpose. And so, so you know, if there's anything to, to encourage you in today, it's that God has given you a purpose. If there's anything to challenge you in, it's God has given you a purpose. What is it? And I want to be very clear. A lot of times we, we can take this in the, the way as Americans of this manifest destiny. What has God set forth for me to accomplish? Um, this is going a little longer than I expected, but uh, I want to read this last piece because I woke up this morning and read Oswald Chambers and I was blown away by what he said. Am I building up the body of Christ or am I only concerned about my own personal development? The essential thing in my personal relationship with Christ is that I may know him. That's what drove Paul. To fulfill God's perfect design for me requires my total surrender complete abandonment of myself to him. Whenever I only want things for myself, my relationship is distorted. And I will suffer great humiliation once I come to acknowledge and understand that I have not really been concerned about realizing Jesus Christ himself, but only concerned with, what, with knowing what he's done for me. My goal is God himself, not joy nor peace, not even blessing, but himself, my God. Am I measuring my life by this standard? Or something less. My encouragement to you is look at the, the life of Paul. Look at how God called him into ministry. Look at what motivated him. He was motivated by the gospel. My encouragement to you is God gave Paul a purpose and drove it, that was driven by the gospel. He's given us a purpose that's driven by the gospel to glorify him. And what that looks like in your own life is going to look a little different will look a little different. But as we lean into him, as we acknowledge that he is sufficient above all, God will continue to make that clear. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the example of Paul. Thank you for the way that he pulls us into his mindset of this higher calling. Lord, that you set forth a purpose, this mystery of the gospel that what was supposed to be, that, that what we, we, we thought would have been just for the Jews, Father, has been given to all people, this mystery that's been wrapped up in generations, and you've given it to believers to walk out. And Father, there is going to be suffering. There is going to be martyrdom. And maybe we don't personally experience a lot of that. But Lord, whatever the calling and the purpose that you've put on our lives, whether it is teaching and preaching, going to other countries, or whether it's serving in our community, walking alongside others in Asheville, ministering to our families. Father, you have preordained that for us because you knew us before the beginning of time. And Father, you called us and you've gifted us with your grace, Father. That it would not be out of our strength, Lord, but that, that we could suffer and strive and work with all of our energy, and yet Christ's power would fuel us. And so, Father, I just pray that um, uh, whatever words you want to stick in our hearts today will stick, Lord, and that you will speak to each person here, that you will call us into that which you would have for us, your your mission and your grace.
Father, thank you uh, for sending Jesus to die on the cross. Thank you that Jesus is enough. And Father, I pray that you will call us into your purpose that you've designed for us. In Jesus' name, amen.